morning. Is my voice shaking? <laughs> Just pray for me, please. Thank you guys so much. I'm so, um, thanks, excited. And I've, I've never stood with a podium, so we'll see how this goes. Thank you all so much. Um, I know that there are a lot of people that could have spoke this morning. Um, and our, the women in our church are just so... Can you hear my earring? Okay, let me take it out. Fashion <laughs> emergency. All right. That's much better, right? Okay. There's just so many women that could have spoke because we all um, have stories. And I know that. And I am so honored and I'm so grateful um, to the God that we serve uh, in this church that he spoke through a lot of different people and he asked um, me to stand up here today. And I don't just stand up here in my flesh, I stand up here um, in the power of his spirit. And so I hope that we can all experience that um, this morning. Um, Brandon, who is such an inspiration I know to all of us and such an inspiration to me, he shared a few things with me um, as I was kind of walking through this and as I was preparing and um, first of all, he wanted to know who he needed to talk to so he could have a table to decorate. Um, and he was going to invite a few guys, and I made sure he knew no guys were allowed, um, so he did. And the second thing that he said um, was, make sure, Rachel, um, if you cry, it's okay. It's okay to cry while you're talking. Um, and if any of you walk with us, you know that I'm not the one that cries. <laughs> he is the one that cries. So if I do cry this morning, that will, that will be awesome. I, I would love that. But if I don't, just know that, that that's the way that God made me. Um, and if you cry, just I, I want you to feel that. Whatever the Lord is doing in you this morning, just let him do. Um, and the last thing that, that he told me what, as I was panicking you know, and, and frantic and all of that, he said, remember, Rachel, that standing before you, in front of you, and standing behind you, and standing to your right, and standing to your left is this God who is huge. Um, and he is what you stand in up there. Um, so remember, you're not standing up there alone. He's already prepared this. Um, he's already done this. Um, you are just the vessel um, with which he's going to bring that through. And then I was fine. So here I am. And I, I, I was also worried that um, I would talk for too long. And so if you have to go to the bathroom or, or if I feels like I'm dragging on, just go. Make sure you come back because um, I'll be offended <laughs> if you don't. Um, but please um, stay still because I have a gift for you um, when I'm done. I have a sweet gift from one of my students, one of my dance students. And um, she's going to offer a response to what the Lord does. And so I hope that you have time. Whatever distractions, whatever's waiting for you, um, on the other side of this, it can wait um, and just sit and be with the Lord. So I just want to pray the spirit that he's already brought here is, is soft and it's sweet and I can feel it. Um, and he, uh, he wants to be that to us today. Um, even though he's many things, um, that's what he is today. So let me pray. Lord, we thank you so much for just already being faithful um, Cindy asked and invited your spirit to be here, and we can already feel that um, as you work through through Lorraine, and as I see how you've worked through her and through my message, and you put those two things together, and then through the beautiful song. And I pray that in the hearts um, of each of us here, of each of the women sitting here and up here, um, as I'm standing here, that the distractions that would try um, to come in and, and to take away what it is that you have for us to hear, Lord, that you would um, just in your power put those so far away from us that the only thing that we could see um, is, is you and that we could know you 
um, in a new way today and that we could feel you just fresh, um, fresh and new today. Thank you for your son. Um, thank you that he gives us life and we thank you that he is with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, in order to talk about um, what has happened in the last two years of my life, I really have to start from the beginning um, and to testify kind of to, to what God has been doing, this ministry of reconciliation that he's had as a theme in my life since um, I can remember, and, and I mean more than that, since before I can remember. My first, um, my first vivid memory um, is at the age of five, and this memory is of my dad shoving my mom um, up against the kitchen wall. And I was five, and my, my sister was sitting in the high chair, and um, she was screaming, and it was chaotic. And my mom was screaming at me to call 911, and I was five. And um, I, I feel like I just sat there kind of frozen. Um, and my next memory is of my dad leaving, um, and he just kind of left, um, not really knowing why. Um, he was just gone. And my mom would, um, as, as I kind of talked about these memories with my mom, she told me, you know, just remember, Rachel, this wasn't the beginning of the chaos because before that, um, don't you remember me strapping you onto your bike when you were, before your sister was born, and we would stroll down by the local bar and um, see if your dad was there. And if he wasn't there, we would stroll by um, houses to see um, what woman he was with that night. And um, I'm like, no, I don't remember that, you know. Um, but this, this, this scene in my kitchen um, was the beginning of that chaos. And it was also the end, um, to me, of my dad. And so with that, um, at the age of five, my dad was gone. And yes, he was abusive, and um, he was um, a cheater. He cheated on my mom. He was an alcoholic. He was a drug addict. Um, but he was gone, and he was my dad. And... It wasn't long before there was another dad in the picture. And my mom was happy again. And I remember this time, it was almost as if I was looking from the outside in. Um, and she was happy and she was joyful. Um, and things started to feel like they were being put back into place. Um, things that I remember about him um, were just like weird things. Like he drove a Jeep um, and it smelled like his cologne mixed with a little bit of leather. Um, because he um, owned a bunch of horses. And one of the joys that, that we experienced as that family was riding horses together on the weekend. And I remember those were, those were fun times, um, joyful times. And this, it was a brief period that we were um, in, this, in this world. Um, another thing that I remember was this, this big, huge um, two-story white house. It sat on a corner lot, and they had just bought it, and they had started renovating it. And you walked in, and there was this beautiful um, wood entryway um, and um, a staircase that went up to it. And my sister and I stayed upstairs, and that was really cool. Um, I remember their wedding. My sister and I wore these really cute red flower girl dresses, and that was, that was, a, that was a fun time. Um, and shortly after they were married, before they had even gone on their honeymoon, they were preparing. And I woke up in the middle of the night to this commotion, um, kind of expecting that same um, scene um, from when I was five. And I, I experienced this commotion, and I walked out of my room, and I peered over the wood balcony, and I couldn't quite comprehend. I was eight at the time. I couldn't quite comprehend what was going on. Um, there were stretchers, an ambulance, um, lots of men. My mom was running around frantic. And she was screaming at me to stay upstairs. Don't come down here. Stay upstairs. 
and my sister came out of her room and she was bawling and I grabbed my sister, she was three at the time, and I, we just kind of stayed there until all the chaos left and my mom left with them and my grandfather came and my grandparents came to be with my sister and I. And I would later find out um, a few days later that we would bury um, my new dad because he died. And um, he died in the middle of the night and he died instantly um, of a heart attack. My mom woke up to him in her bed and um, he was only 36. And this left my mom divorced um, and widowed and a mother of two um, and she was only 32. And this, unlike when my dad left, was a sad time. Um, it wasn't necessarily sad for me because I don't remember um, you know, experiencing or understanding the death of it, but for my mom, I saw the difference. I saw the contrast um, for her from when my dad left to when she left. And so my mom left. And, and um, so my dad had left, my stepdad had died, my mom had left, um, and we went to live, my sister and I, with my grandparents. She was three and I was eight. And I remember one night we shared a bed at my grandparents and she asked me, she just very sweetly like a three-year-old would do, is mommy coming home? And I replied, um, as a very grown-up eight-year-old, I don't know, I don't know. And I think that that's how I dealt with it, I don't know. And my second dad was gone and he wasn't abusive, he wasn't a cheater, he wasn't an alcoholic, he wasn't a drug addict, but he was gone. Um, and like that, we, we went to live with my grandparents. And this um, became when I started to experience joy. This was the first time I um, started to really smile again. Um, and my grandfather, my grandparents, they were just really awesome. My grandfather was a retired colonel uh, from the Vietnam War and he was strong and he was handsome, tall, charismatic. Um, he was a state legislator and he was a professor of history. Um, and so their, their house was just, was full of, of chatter and was full of warmth and was full of joy. My grandmother complimented him. Um, she had a love for fashion, um, which I feel like really stayed with me. Um, and, <laughs> and, well, I hope. <laughs> and, um, and she complimented him. She was a socialite and she was a full-time volunteer and interior decorator. Their house was beautiful. Um, and so we began to form this small little family. My mom did come back. Um, my mom did eventually return a few months later and we stayed in this small family um, for a while. Um, but then my mom remarried and we were thrust out of this house um, and we moved into a new house. And I was kind of done with dads at this point. Um, I pushed my stepdad really far away and I just chose not to get close to him um, and I stayed close to my grandparents. But then my, my mom and my stepdad decided to move us across the country um, to Pennsylvania. And I was mad um, because I had experienced comfort and I had experienced um, you know, joy for the first time and I liked it, it felt good. Um, and I was, I was ripped out of that and thrown into something that was completely uncomfortable um, and unreal to me. And um, a few, so I just rebelled, you know, like uh, I would think I was, thir I was 13 at the time, like a 13 year old would do. And I rebelled for a few months. But we got a call a few months later that my grandfather was sick um, and that he had lymphoma, he had cancer, it was in his bone marrow. Um, and I knew my grandfather was a warrior. Um, I had seen him battle a lot of things, so I wasn't worried about it. Um, I don't think I even really knew what cancer was because I hadn't experienced it um, in anyone's life so far. Um, and so I just kind of knew, he'll be fine. They'll get the treatment that they need. It'll be just like anything else. 
They came to visit us a few months later, and my grandfather wasn't fine. He was frail, and he was thin, um, and you could just see the effects of the chemotherapy. And I remember thinking, he's going to leave me too. He's going. He's going to be gone. And we visited them that Christmas, and we met them in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They were headed home from MD Anderson. He was undergoing clinical trials. And we gathered as a small family in that hospital room. And um, it was a small family, just my mom, my two sister, me and my sister, and my aunt, my grandmother. And we gathered, and my grandfather, my mom asked my grandfather, do you want another piece of bread? And he said, no, I'm saving that piece for Jesus. And I was like, Jesus? Because I had never heard of Jesus before. I didn't know who Jesus was. My family was an intellectual family, and we had gone to church, um, and I had heard stories but I didn't know who Jesus was. And now my grandfather, right before he died, was expressing who Jesus was and that he was going to see him and that he was saving something for him, his last thing. And I have to um, insert here that I, I had actually experienced Jesus a little bit. I was at this two room um, in between the death of my grandfather and the death of, uh, the death of my stepdad and the death of my grandfather. I went to this two-room little church um, with a friend, and they asked if anyone wants to know Jesus, if you want to be his friend, come forward. And I wanted to be his friend. So I walked forward, and I, I became Jesus' friend that day, and they took me into this little room, and they said some things to me that I didn't really understand at the time or, or remember, um, but they said, you can talk to him. And I said, just like a friend, you can talk to him. So a conversation kind of started, and um, a little bit. And then my, when my grandfather died in that, hotel, in that hospital bed, um, I remember that conversation began with Jesus. And I began asking questions inside myself, like, I needed to understand why men kept leaving me. Why did my dad leave me? Why did my stepdad leave me? Why did my grandfather leave me? Why were these men leaving, never staying? What was wrong with me? Um, what was wrong with my mom? What was wrong with my sister? Um, and I needed to be able to grasp this. And I needed a way to make sure that these men weren't, that men weren't going to leave me. Um, and so I headed back after the funeral of my grandfather. And I headed back to Pennsylvania with this desire, this obsession to control everything in my life. Um, and my image and my relationships were the two biggest things, the two biggest targets. And so I spent most of my high school year, my high school years just consumed with um, creating this image, creating something that was perfect, something that I could control, um, something that people would, would love, would like. Um, and the list kind of goes on and on, you know, like the perfect hair, the perfect body, um, the perfect clothes, the perfect hair, uh, whatever, perfect. It needed to be perfect, whatever it was, student, boyfriend, whatever. It all needed to be perfect. It needed to look perfect. And I understand this now because the chaos that was going on in my house was unreal. Think about it. My mom had walked through the same stuff that I had. My sister had walked through the same stuff. I had walked through it. Nothing had been dealt with. So inside of me was this, this chaos, this, this, under, this, you know, I couldn't comprehend anything. And in my house also was this chaos. My mom had gone into prescription drugs and she was emotionally vacant. Um, and, and so there was all this. So I pushed all that aside and I, and I made a way that people could understand. And the, one of the biggest ways that I did this was through a boyfriend in high school. And I spent a long time um, kind of scouting out who that perfect 
boyfriend would be. Um, and then I worked a long time to get that perfect boyfriend. And then to keep him, I did anything that I needed to. Um, and then I wanted to dump him, even if I was happy with him, even if it was exactly what I wanted. I needed to get rid of him because that way I could control it. He couldn't get rid of me. And so I did. And I did this game two or three times. And then he got smart. <laughs> and he started dating someone else. And while he was dating this other girl, um, this obsession was just taking over me. Um, and I decided to, to sleep with him while he was dating this other girl in hopes that, that he would come back to me, knowing that I could control him through, through that, that I could control him through, through my body, through sex, whatever it was. It was, it, was, it was awful. And the reality of what happened was completely different than I had imagined because not only did he not come back to me, but he denied the event. And so in an instant, this perfect image that I had created in this world where people knew me was beginning to unravel. And I was beginning to see what I was capable of. And people around me were beginning to see that. And things just started to unravel. And there was this boy um, watching me from afar. And instead of kind of, um, you know, doing what everyone else was doing um, while I was going through this, he, his response to that was an invitation to his youth group. And my response was yes, yes, yes. Anything to change um, what I was, this misery that I was drowning in um, because I felt so much guilt and shame for what I had done um, that it was, it was just overwhelming me. And so I began attending church to him, with him, and I began, um, I began to, to hear about Jesus again. Um, except this time, it was different because this time they introduced scripture um, and I began to feel something inside of me stirring. And my main objective in knowing Jesus at this point was to just rid myself of the guilt and shame that I was feeling. Um, I was starting to see what sin was. And I was starting to see what the effects of sin were, was. And I felt so guilty for this awful thing that I'd done. And if I could just get others to see that I was truly sorry, then my image would be restored. Um, and, and all things would be made new. And the thing is, the, my objective was impure, but God was faithful to me at this point. Because if, as I've reflected over this, I've begun to see um, how, how scripture um, has started to play into my life at, the, at this point. Scripture came in and intersected my life. And some people, when, when they speak, they'll give you like one verse. Um, well, I have a whole chapter. So as I go through this, um, I'm going to be going through Romans chapter 8 because this is kind of the context of my, of, of my life and what happened. And this period for me um, began to, became the period of no condemnation. And in Romans 8, it says, therefore, now, if you have your Bible, you can open. If not, don't feel condemned. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit that set me free from the law of sin and death. I'm sorry. The, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And so I began to experience Christ in this new way. Sin was coupled with his spirit that was working in me. And it took away my guilt and it took away my shame and it did it and I wasn't even aware of it. I wasn't even pure of heart in it. I didn't even desire that, but he was faithful. And so even though high school was this dark period for me, this was where the light started penetrating through that darkness. And these high walls that I had built started coming down. But as I moved closer to graduation, um, 
and, and I recognized sin, I stayed with, connected with this group, um, and, and you know, I, I did all of those things, I began to see that my world, this world I created was starting to get bigger. And the things that I was trying to juggle and the image that I was trying to, to create was just getting bigger and bigger and there was more and more things that I couldn't. Um, so I made a move and I moved back to the town that I had moved from, back to my grandparents' um, town where my grandfather was known in the community. He, he, you know, that's, that's where our family had been. And I moved back to this place of comfort. And I left everything um, that I had experienced there this understanding of sin, knowing Christ was starting to work in me, I left it and I went back to comfort. And two big things happened um, while I was in college. One was that I met Brandon, and he was this tall, dark, charming, handsome man. Um, And he reminded me a lot of my grandfather. He was charismatic, um, he had a great smile, he was super funny. and he just, he reminded me so much of my grandfather. Um, and I was sure from the moment I met him that I wanted to be with him for a really long time. Um, but he wasn't so sure about that. So we dated in this very bumpy, volatile uh, relationship for, for three years. Um, and we were constantly living between these moments of, of embrace, of, of letting our guard down and wanting each other and experiencing each other in a very sinful way. I, I'm, I'm not saying that it wasn't, but we were experiencing each other. And then we lived in between other moments where we just rejected each other. We rejected everything about the other person um, and we sent each other away. Um, until finally we did this back and forth for, until finally he graduated two years before me. And he left that town and he left our relationship and he headed for Dallas and he didn't even look back. Um, and once again, this man that I had trusted, this man that I had given my heart to, was gone. But another big thing started to happen in college because I began to develop um, and understand the sense of community. I lived with a group of girls, um, and it was the first time that I had felt a family outside of my family. Um, and, and it was just as if it was this adopted and. and adopted family and these girls walked with me through chaotic times and something happens when you live in a body of people um, when you kind of bury yourself before people Um, the things that you're trying to hide you just can't hide and those things start to come out um, into the light and so that started to happen and in Romans 8 verse 5 it says those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires but and there's this where this contrast started to come in But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of a sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind hostile to to um, the mind the sinful mind is hostile to God. And this contrast began to take root in me. And as I began to see the difference in myself, the Spirit that had begun to work in me um, as I experienced what sin was began to work in me in high school. I was beginning to see this contrast, this contrast of living in the flesh and living in the spirit. And I could recognize when I was living in which one. But throughout college, I consistently got it wrong because I just wanted to satisfy these desires of my heart, of my flesh, the desires of my heart I didn't really care about. I wanted these desires of my flesh to be satisfied. And I did it through through, um, alcohol and through sex and through vanity and through control, which was my biggest my biggest demon. Um, But the difference was that I was living in this contrast, shoved in between these two places, life in the spirit, 
life in the flesh. And these walls were just pressing in on me as if I wouldn't, the awareness just wasn't allowing me um, to live here for very much longer. And I felt this, I just felt this tension um, building. And as I faced graduation, I began to look at what I had accomplished in these four years of college. I realized that I hadn't done much. I had partied a lot, and I had satisfied the desires of my flesh, but there was nothing at the end of that. Nothing. And so this panic started to rise in me. What would I do after graduation? Where would I go? What relationship would I turn to? Where would I live? All of these things. Who would know or care who I was? And the answer came so unexpected and in a way that I never would have planned for myself. It was almost as if I had stopped thinking in my flesh and stopped thinking those 10 steps ahead of where I had before. Um, And and I was just at pause. And I moved back in with my mom and with my stepdad who had moved back from Pennsylvania. And this was... This, this was awkward um, because I had left that life. I had left all of that um, that was in there and I never wanted to go back to that. I never wanted to feel that chaos again. And I did two things. Um, one, I applied for law school and I was denied acceptance, which was, I know, a dream of my family and something that I should have probably done. Um, the second was that I applied for a dance job. And up until this point, when it came to dance, I had gotten a lot of things. I was even turning things down. But this particular dance job I auditioned for, knowing that was my next move, um, and cut at the last minute. Now I needed a job, and I needed somewhere to live. And both were provided. And I began to see God's provision. That I wasn't even asking for it, but that he was providing. Because I moved back in with my my stepdad, my mom, um, and something new some new scripture started to come out. And this was also in Romans. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of adoption. And by him, by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies that we are God's children. And our spirit testifies with God's. And what stood out to me here, as I, as I started to think about this scripture, was, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body. Because I was becoming so tired of searching for the next thing. And I was only 20, 22. I was 22 at the time. Where do I go? What do I do? Um, who do, who, you know, all of this stuff. My flesh was beginning to lose energy. But if by the Spirit. And Jesus became more than someone who just took away my guilt and my sin. And he became someone, um, something more um, that, was, that, was, that was just there. So by the Spirit. It wasn't this big aha moment um, where he came. But I just began to walk in this understanding by the Spirit. And I nestled back in with my mom and with my stepdad um, after my mom's battle with prescription drugs. And God began to heal this family in a way that I never, I never would have expected. I never could have comprehended. God began to heal. And he put me back in this house. He took me out of that house and he put me back in that house, house because he needed something to do. He needed healing. And I said that Brandon and I had parted ways. <laughs> and every now and then, Um, As I began to walk in this understanding, as I began to walk in the Spirit, just taking one step at a time, not satisfying my flesh, but walking by the Spirit, um, every now and then Brandon would enter my mind, 
and I would just pray for him and um, that he would experience something that I had been experiencing. The same thing that, that was happening in my life, I wanted to happen in his life. Um, that God would just take him, that he would protect him, that he would make him into the man that he wanted him to be. Sometimes I didn't even know what to pray for Brandon, and so I just said his name. I would just say, Brandon, whatever he needs, whatever he needs. And about a year later, um, I got a call from Brandon. And we hadn't talked for a year. We had cut all ties. And after that year, um, he called me and he, you know, in his very charming way, how you doing? What's going on? You know, things going good. Um, he was encouraging me. He was, you know, he was very charming. Um, but then the small talk just kind of dissipated. And he began to tell me what God had been doing, what had been happening in his life since we had separated. And he told me that he had been into drugs and alcohol really bad as he moved, um, when he moved to Dallas. Um, and that didn't surprise me because that's how he was in college. So I wasn't surprised by that. But that he had gotten a DUI, that he had been arrested, that he had been thrown in jail um, for 28 hours. And that while he was in jail, um, he began to experience God. And God really showed him, you have two ways to go, Brandon. You can continue down this path of destruction, this place that you're headed to, where you've been walking. You can continue down that path, um, or you can choose this new path. And this new path is, is with Christ. This new path is Christ. And this sent pause in me, because in that moment I realized that we had been separated, and God was doing the very same thing in both of our lives. He was reconciling each of us back to himself, and as he was reconciling us back to himself, he was growing us to each other. Um, but I didn't let myself go there <laughs> because he had already damaged me so much. Um, and Brandon told me that after that experience in jail, he chose Christ. And a few days later, he received Christ in the quiet of his own apartment with nobody else around. And then he laid the most shocking news on me. I think maybe that I've ever heard in my life. Um, well, maybe not. Because <laughs> we know what the rest of the story is. But he said, he said, it was over the phone, and he said, Rachel, I know this sounds crazy, but God also revealed to me that you are the girl that I'm supposed to be with. He told me that I am supposed to spend the rest of my life with you, that you're the one for me, that you always have been the one for me, and that you always will be, and that I'm supposed to marry you. Hmm. <laughs> really? <laughs> because, yeah, I do think you're crazy. And my analytical mind started going, God told you this, you received Christ, you want me, you always have wanted me, this is the desire of your heart. And then I began to ask myself, what's the desire of my heart? Did I want this? Because I had actually been praying for peace from this relationship. I had actually been praying that God could push me forward into something new. Um, and that's what I wanted. I wanted to be sent forward, um, not backwards. But in Romans 8, it says, But hope that is, no se is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what he already has? If we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And I know that this scripture um, is referring to the hope that we have, the hope that all of us have in Christ for the resurrection of our bodies at the end of time um, and how all of creation longs for that. But at this point in my life, hope in the unseen 
and faith to take a step became the theme for me. Um, because the Spirit was searching my heart, interceding for me. I didn't even know what to pray. I didn't know what the desires of my heart were. I didn't know anything. And, and so I had a choice because I had a next step to take. I had to respond to this. And my choice came in my flesh or it came in the Spirit. And my flesh kept telling me, no way, can you trust him? How many times has he disappointed you? How many times have you cried over this guy because of his already, how he's betrayed you? How many times has he said he wants you um, and then left you? How could you ever trust him? But my spirit, the spirit of God, the spirit, the Holy Spirit, was saying, this man is in Christ. This man is a new creation. And you might not be able to trust him, Rachel, right now, you might not be able to trust him, but you can trust me. Trust me. Take a step in obedience. This is what I'm calling you to. Take a step with me. And so that day I chose Christ. And my response was to take that step of faith in obedience in knowing and trusting that the only thing I could trust at that point was Christ. That he had been with me, that he was walking with me, and that he would continue to walk with me. And then, you know, we know the scripture that says, in, in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And God was faithful because Brandon was a new creation. And he wasn't a perfect creation because he is a man. <laughs> it's true, right? But I'm not either. Um, but he was new and he was different. Um, and Christ was dwelling in him. The same Christ that I felt in me, I could see in him. And, he, and Christ just became the center of our relationship. And we were married just a year later after that as we um, kind of started down that journey. And the first three years of our marriage um, were just this season of rebuilding and restoration um, of things that were broken in us individually and things that were um, broken in our relationship because we had come out of this relationship um, of sin. But Christ was making that all new. Um, as we walked with him. And he thrust us into this community of fellow believers. Um, and he showed us um, what it was like to be active, for Christ to be active and alive in people. And how people all around us were taking these same step, steps of obedience, these same steps of faith. Um, and we began to see that in the hearts of so many of you. And we felt, we just, we fell in love with this place. And God continued to bless us. He blessed us financially and he blessed us spiritually. Um, he blessed us emotionally as he took care of those things that were broken in us. Um, and all the while he started to do a new thing in us because he started to tell us that we needed to know him and his word. We had begun to experience him and we knew his spirit, um, but we needed to know him and his word. And so we began to crave the word. We began to study the word with, um, I know, a lot of women in this room. And um, we began to just become rooted in him. And God blessed us with our first son, Asher, um, um, on April 4th of 2009. And life just seemed right. It seemed perfect. Well, I didn't need perfect, but it seemed good. It seemed like things were falling into place. My strong, handsome, charismatic husband who loved Christ, adored his family. And then I had this beautiful, smart, um, joyful baby boy whose, whose name literally means blessed and happy, and he is. Um, blessed and happy and we owned our own home at a young age we worked in our dream jobs um, we belonged to this vibrant church family just all things seemed right um, and things weren't perfect um, but they were falling into place and we began to plan our life and then on February 3rd of 2010 I sat in my car with Asher 
Um, we were waiting outside of a doctor's office to pick Brandon up. Um, and he was having an MR done because he was having head rushes and headaches and he had started to develop this limp on his right side. Um, and we didn't really take the MRI serious. Obviously, I was sitting in my car. I didn't go to the appointment with him. I was just going to pick him up for lunch. Um, and I sat waiting for him. I made a phone call. And he tapped on my window. And I looked at him, and I was very annoyed, like, hold on. I'll be done in a minute, you know? And he, he looked at me, and he said, no, I need to talk to you now. And it's like when your husband says that and he speaks like that, you're like, okay. And my heart began to pound. And I stepped out of the car, slipped out, and he looked me in the eyes, and very plainly, very straightforward, he said, I have a brain tumor, it's the size of a baseball, and we need to go see this brain surgeon, and um, we need to, I need to have brain surgery. Oh, that's what it felt like. It felt like someone had ripped the air right out of my lungs, and I couldn't breathe. And I laid my head on his floor, on his, my forehead on his chest, and I just said, I don't understand. I don't understand. And the next few hours were the hardest hours of my life because I, we grabbed Asher and we went into the doctor's office um, and we waited in the waiting room um, and then we waited in the doctor's office and another doctor's office and we waited as a brain surgeon and his assistant tried to explain to my 30-year-old husband who was a plastic engineer and, and me, 27 at the time, um, who was a dance instructor, and our 10-month-old squirmy son, they tried to explain to us what this tumor might be, what this tumor might not be, um, where it was, how the brain works, what surgery would be like, what rehab would be like, all of these things, and our minds were just whirling. How massive this, this tumor is. It's not the size of a baseball, it's the size of a grapefruit, a large grapefruit. Um, and your life has just changed. Do you understand that? Your life has just changed. I got that. I was getting that tone. And it was. Everything that we had known, everything that we had planned, everything that we know about who we knew up until that point about who God was, it was like all of that was just this big balloon and it just ran into a needle. Pop. And my life felt like it was chaotic again. I didn't know where to look. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to think, what to say. I didn't, I, none of that. I just couldn't think. Um, and we got in the car, and Brandon couldn't drive because he was now at risk for seizures. Um, and so I, I got in and drove. And um, we, we just looked back at Asher, and we looked at each other, and we grabbed each other, and we just bawled. And um, as Brandon began to compose himself, the Lord spoke. God spoke through Brandon. And he said, Rachel, I haven't told you this, but for the last year, for the last six months to a year, I have felt so dry spiritually, so dry. And I have been begging, I have been asking, begging, praying that God would just give me something that I could just, that would revive me, that I could tell about what was going on inside of me that I couldn't get out. And he was like, this is my deepest prayer. This, all of this, it's not about the tumor. The Lord is about to reveal himself and he's going to use this to show people who he is. And Brandon and I had dealt with trust issues because of our past. And so I recognized that I didn't completely trust Brandon. But in those moments, all of that was gone. And I looked at him, and I grabbed him, and I put my head down, and I just felt complete trust, 
complete trust in Brandon, complete trust in what God was doing, and I chose my response. That whatever this was, that I would just let Brandon lead us through. That Christ in him, that the Lord in him was going to be so big, so powerful, and he was gonna have everything he needed to move our family through this. And of course, just because I chose this response um, doesn't mean that that fear didn't rush in. You know that fear that like fills the whole top of you and you feel like you're gonna vomit, yeah? Yeah, that, that came rushing in. As soon as I chose, as soon as I chose, I let my husband, that fear came rushing in. And so I, I made my first, my first phone call. And of course you know what I wanted to do. I wanted to control all this. I wanted to know where to go, how to control it, you know, what doctor to choose, second opinion, all this. Uh, uh, uh. But this was too big. It was too big. And so I called my mom. She was the first phone call I made. And of course she was in the car with my grandmother and with my sister. <laughs> and I told my mom, I said, Mom, Brandon has a brain tumor. And she's like, what? No, you're, you're joking. I mean, because Brandon would joke about stuff like this. He would. It's weird. It's weird. And, and finally, after a few minutes of realizing that I wasn't joking about this, um, she dropped the phone and I heard her cry out to my grandmother. Um, and my mom is dramatic, but I would say that if she was here. Um, but she cried out and she said, my daughter is going to be a widow too. And I thought, I am. The life that my mom had lived, that was going to be my life. Because of my past, because of my immediate beliefs, these things rushed in. But as quick as those things came in, so did the conversation that Brandon and I had just had. This, all of this, is not about the tumor. And I clung to those words. I held on to them because that was the first word that we had from the Lord. And as I was just quickly thrown into this, this new world, making decisions, scheduling surgery, making sure I had a power of attorney, <laughs> medical power of attorney, informing people of the news. How hard is it to tell person after person this news um, and to have to relay this? And it felt as quickly as we received this, this, this news was as quickly as Brandon was in surgery because that following Monday, we found out on a Wednesday and that following Monday he was in surgery and just a few days after that initial news. And at 6 a.m. I let go of Brandon's hand and we had been clinging to what the Lord had told us, this, all of this is not about the tumor. And I let go of his hand on Monday morning and I placed him into the hands of the Lord having no idea what was on the other side of that surgery. And I just, I gave him to the, to the Lord. I gave him to God. This, all of this is not about the tumor. And for 14 hours that day, I focused on God, waiting, 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 wanting the news. I knew Brandon was made. The Lord has, God had made him um, a warrior. So I knew he was gonna battle through surgery. I knew he was gonna, he was gonna do good. And most all of you in this room stood with us that day um, as we prayed just nonstop, nonstop. We prayed without ceasing. But I was wanting to know what this tumor was. What is this tumor? That's what was going on inside of me. Hoping it was just a big mass of nothing. I had this, this hope. And the surgeon came out around 9 p.m. with his assistant and his bloodshot eyes. And they looked at me, you know, how they look at you. And I just thought, 
there's nothing they're going to tell me that's going to help me. They have no clue what this is. And that was revealed to me in an instant, that I'd have to wait three weeks to find out what this was. And instantly, my body went into shock. And I, I leaned, my mom and my dad were there outside, and I leaned up against the wall, and I began to just drown out the words that he was saying, because if he wasn't going to tell me what I needed to hear, I, I just needed to drown him out. And in those tired moments, I was separated from Brandon. And Brandon's moments, those were his weakest moments, right out of surgery, complete weakness. And in my moments of, of weakness, where I just, I, I mean, I felt like I just went limp. And in those moments, the God that I had known, the God that had walked with me, who had been with me, became Lord. And he became sovereign. And he began to show me that this is so much bigger than you. All of it is so much bigger than you. And he became Lord of my life. And he became Lord of this world, Lord of the universe, Lord of all creation. And the words Alpha and Omega came into my mind, the beginning and the end. Nothing comes to him, comes to you without first passing through him. Nothing. He's sovereign. And when sovereign came into my mind, this, this idea of sovereign, I, I had been reading in scripture about this idea of sovereign. And sovereign came in, sovereignty came into my mind, and immediately I thought of Jeff Dietz. And because I had heard him so many times say sovereign. Is the Lord, is he, does he have Lord, is he Lord of your life? You know him, but is he Lord of your life? And so I called Kim, and, and, um, and those, those, those quiet moments, we headed up to ICU, and I called Kim, and I said, yeah, I need Jeff here. I didn't need anybody that day, but yeah, I need Jeff here now. And Jeff came, and he just sat with me, and he prayed with me, and explained to me what sovereign was, what that meant. And just like that, God sent this other angel, who was Annette Green, and she had been listening, and she had been praying, and she ran into that waiting room, and she grabbed me like a mom grabs her little girl, and she squeezed me like I'd never been squeezed in my life, and I just lost it. And all of that fear about what this was just came out of me. She was squeezing it out of me. And she showed me this little book, and she said, don't read this book. It, it doesn't matter what the words in this book say. She said, just look at the, this picture. And it was just this picture of this hand and this little bird that sat in this hand. And she was like, I just need you to look at this. And as you sleep and as you rest and as you pray and as you walk through this, just look at this picture. And I knew, I knew what that was. It took me a while, but I understood that that was the Lord's right hand, that I was sitting in his right hand, that he had control of me, that he had had control of me before I was even created. And instantly, a sign of his sovereignty came. He does that. He does that. He tells us something and then he gives us something so that we may know, so that we may believe. And I laid my head down on the bed of that ICU waiting room, this little makeshift bed, and I took a breath and I looked to my left and there was my mom. And I looked to my right and there was my dad. The dad who had left me when I was five. The dad who had came back to me when I was a teenager. The dad who was there with me when my husband was away from me. And not only was that dad with me, but the father was with me. The father who had sent his son to work this reconciliation that was going on in my life. 
And as I was squeezed in between my parents, and as I understood that reconciliation, the Lord spoke through Romans. And he said, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously, along with him, give us all things? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or brain tumors? No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. More than that, we are more than conquerors. Nothing in all creation. This is not about the tumor. And the many months that followed that were filled with trials. They were filled with hardships. Kiva, Kiva, where are you? I don't know, you're back there. She, she, she walked with me through a beautiful moment where um, as Brandon woke up from surgery, paralyzed on his right side with no speech, she sat with me during one of his speech therapy um, appointments where he was just trying to simply get out the vowels. Ah. And he couldn't. There was no speech there. And I looked at her, and she looked at me, and we just had this moment like, it's going to be fine. The Lord is in this. And the tumor is malignant, was malignant, however you look at it. And the treatment that followed has been radiation and monthly chemotherapy, doctors, 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 doctors. Months of rehabilitation, many days and nights where Brandon and I have sat in tears with each other, mourning the life that we had the life that we had planned for ourselves. But, and Deb Jones taught me this, but, there's always a but with God. But alongside all the suffering, there there was a resurrection of Brandon's body. Because from a hospital bed, to a wheelchair, to a cane, to a leg brace, to where he is today, walking just as Jacob walked after he encountered the living God, he walks with a limp. So that people may know who the Lord is. And the doctors warned us, they warned us, Brandon won't be able um, to keep up with his rehab while enduring seven weeks of radiation and chemotherapy. But we stood with many in prayer, many of you, most of you, that the Lord would be his strength. Brandon didn't miss one day of rehab. Right. They also told me when I first walked into the oncologist, go ahead and file for disability because he probably won't return back to work. He's going dis- to be disabled for the rest of his life. But the Lord took Brandon back to work in six months. For real. And throughout the two years of of chemotherapy, they had told us there will be days where Brandon will just be tired. He'll be exhausted and and he's going to miss work. Just be prepared for that. You might need to buy some more vacation days. But he hasn't missed one day of work for treatment. We've gone on vacation. We've gone on mission trips. But he hasn't missed one day during his treatment. 
And yeah, he's at home right now and he's tired and he's sick and he's watching our little two-year-old. But on Monday morning, I guarantee you that the Lord will take him there to provide for his family. And we have stood on the words of Isaiah and I was reminded of them this week by Carolyn um, to our quad with Sue Smith um, in an email. And it's as if the Lord gave us this testimony to, um, to, to those who are saying, this is what this might be like. Do you not know? Have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God? He is creator of the ends of the earth. He, earth, he will not grow weary. He will not grow tired. And his understanding no one can fathom. For even youths grow tired and weary. Young men, 30-year-old men, stumble and fall. But, Deb, but, those who hope, those who stand in the Lord, will renew their strength. They will soar with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. Why do these things happen to good people? That's the question I feel like people always ask us. Why do these things happen to good people? And Paul says in Romans 8, of course, because we're walking through that, um, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. We share in his suffering that we may share in his glory. And Brandon and I shared this longing, this desire that we couldn't even verbalize to each other. We couldn't even share with each other. The Spirit dwelling in us, working in us, interceding on our behalf, asking that the Father would reveal himself to us in a new way. And if that is at the core of who you are, if you desire to simply know the Father, he will reveal himself to you. Christ in you, God with you. And this father that sent his son continues to send him to each of us um, as he works with us day in and day out, reconciling us to himself. And I'm sorry, but in the midst of that reconciliation, as he brings us back to himself, there is suffering. Because we have to pass from living in the weakness of our flesh to living in the power of the spirit. It's never about the suffering, though. It wasn't about Christ's death, though it needed to happen. It was that he was raised to life, to give us eternal life. And that is a joy that we can't express. And I think that the Lord, I'm trying to be quick, I know you guys are sitting. (laughs) I think that the Lord has really one challenge for us. Well, you'll respond to your own, but I think he had one challenge that he wanted me to share with you today. And as we enter into this new Advent season, and that is to proclaim in each of our lives, the truth that that the Lord spoke to Brandon in those first moments, that this, all of this, is not about, and you have to fill in the blank. Because if it isn't about the death of a loved one, if it isn't about this divorce, if it isn't about my teenager's drama, (laughs) if it isn't about my imperfect husband who just cheated on me, who just tried to destroy our family, if it isn't about that annoying boss, if it isn't about the loss of that job, if it isn't about that we don't have enough money, if it isn't about this cancer, this illness, whatever it is, this, whatever this is, if it isn't about this, then we must ask the one who knows, what is this all about? And my favorite devotional of all times comes from Francis J. Roberts in a book that was given to me by Joanne Carter while we were in the hospital, and it's called Come Away Beloved. And my favorite devotional in that book is entitled, From the Center to Circumference. And the most poignant lines for me came in my times of deepest doubt, my times of deepest weakness. 
and they were these. And it's as if God just put my name at the beginning of this, Rachel. Only drop those things which thou graspeth in thy hand, and place thy hands in mine. Only rest thine eyes from those things that thou holdest most precious, and I will fill them with my glory. Loose thine affections from all others. Place in my hands those thou holdest dear. Leave them in my keeping. Leave them. For so shall thy heart be set free to seek me without distraction. And for when I have become to thee more real, more precious than all beside, when I am become to thee more real than all else, and when thou lovest me more than thou lovest any other, then thou shalt know complete satisfaction. What has become more real to me than anything that I can see or touch or feel is that the God who created all things, who sent his son to die and then raised him to life, from death to life so that we may have eternal life, is the core of who I am. And he is available always with me. He was with me when I was five. He was with me when I was eight. He was with me when I was 12, when I was 21, when I'm 29 standing before you. And he's with me into eternity. He was with me before I was created. Never to leave me alone. And my prayer for all of you, and my prayer for this morning has been that he becomes, or that he is more real to you than anything else. And that as a result of that, when he becomes more real to you, that you just love him as so. Thank you guys for letting me share with you.